Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sarah Kelly from the Civil Affairs 450th out of Riverdale, Maryland. Today, I would like to introduce to you Dr. Larry Hufford. He is a, a professor down at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, would you like to say hi, Dr. Hufford? Well, uh, hello to everyone. Would you like to give a little background on um, just kind of some of the projects that you've been working on? Yeah, I, of course, got my doctorate from the London School of Economics uh, years ago during the Cold War, and so I was, what I was studying was pretty much standard classical realist uh, balance of power politics, and how the, the Soviet Union and United States uh, were vis-a-vis -vis one another, and uh, the role that they were playing in nations in the developing world as they became independent. So over the years, my focus has changed in the late 70s and 80s, early 90s. I was very focused in Latin America, specifically Central America, in causes of war and conflict resolution, reconciliation, and also uh, looking at development in countries like Bangladesh and and Haiti and the Altiplano region of, of Bolivia. Then recently, in the last 10 to 15 years, I've been involved in looking at citizenship, how one teaches citizenship, how you write curricula for citizenship in post-conflict societies. For example, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, where you have three ethnic groups, three religions, uh, the conflict has ended, but how is citizenship being taught? I've traveled there a couple of times to Sarajevo for research, but I've spent, uh, been traveling every year to Northern Ireland in a, in a situation where one would think Catholics and Protestants ought to be able to get along. Of course, you've got several hundred years of history that interfere with getting along, but how is citizenship taught in Northern Ireland, or perhaps more specifically, how, why is citizenship not being taught in Northern Ireland? Uh, so I've been going to uh, Belfast, Ulster, Derry, Londonderry, and uh, spending time at a, a reconciliation center called Cory Mila, started by a man who's now deceased, Ray Davies, who was a prisoner of war in World War II. And after he was outside of Dresden when the Allies firebombed Dresden, and he and his fellow prisoners of war were taken into Dresden to pick up burned bodies. And he came back and started Corimila as a dialogue center. And it, it played a tremendously positive role in the 30-year violent conflict between Protestants and Catholics. Uh, yeah. 
to say that's one of the reasons why this podcast today is going to be about Northern Ireland. They are celebrating the 20-year anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, and it's an area where it's the situation still is kind of ongoing. It's not as violent as during the Troubles, but with the dissolution of the government in Belfast about a year ago and with Brexit, this podcast is about what the recovery uh, can be done because there are still scars that the people have as well as the future for it and if true and lasting peace can be achieved within this generation or perhaps the next. Well, that's one of the things we teach in, you know, the graduate program in international relations, that there is conflict management, conflict resolution, conflict reconciliation, and conflict transformation. Conflict management that you you saw in Northern Ireland uh, back in 1998, uh, it brings the violence to an end. It stops the killing, but it doesn't solve the underlying issues. And the, the Good Friday Agreement is something that has to be maintained in uh, in Northern Ireland. But with what's happening now, there are 650 members of Parliament in the House of Commons in London. Uh, so any party that gets 325 members of Parliament has a majority. Theresa May does not have 325 members of Parliament. She came up short. She got 300. The Tories got 318 members of Parliament. So what they did was form an agreement with the Northern Irish DUP, uh, the kind of hardline pro-Brexit Protestant uh, political party. But, uh, you know, I want to say that immediately the conservatives in Great Britain are not in a coalition with the DUP. A coalition means that you have different parties agreeing on a joint program and the cabinet would have ministers from both parties. The DUP did not agree on a joint program and they do not have ministers in May's government. They have what's called a confidence and supply agreement and that's where the DUP will agree in key votes. For example, the budget confidence motion, they will support May's government. So May doesn't have to worry about her government falling and new elections being called. And what's in it for the DUP? Well, the Tories agreed to give Northern Ireland a billion pounds over the next two years. Uh, spend more on state pensions and maintain defense spending. But the interesting thing, as you pointed out, there's no functioning government in Stormont. They, the DUP and, and Sinn Féin have left the government. You know, it's not functioning. And that uh, broke up. It's been, uh, you know, over a, well over a year that there's been no uh, functioning government in Northern Ireland. And that one of the things that has to do is with the Irish language. There were DUP on two occasions changed Irish language to English, and that greatly upset uh, Sinn Féin and the Republicans in you know who who uh, are Irish and call themselves Irish. 
and you know this gets to another issue you think well language why is that causing a government not to function well it has to do with identity politics and you know identity is very much a part of citizenship you know there's legal citizenship constitutional citizenship but then there's psychological citizenship there's identity and protestants in northern ireland will when you say you know what are you they'll say british i'm british and when you talk to catholics and say well what are you i'm irish irish you know in other words i'm I'm saying how can you teach citizenship northern ireland isn't a country i say that is actually one of the changes too in recent years recent polls have noticed that now it seems to be there's a rise in catholic numbers as opposed to the protestants with catholics making up about 45 percent of the population and protestants at 48 so with those numbers changing it does really affect on that whole peace process and does come back with that self-identification when you have a conflict that has been managed brought to an end the fighting brought to an end through conflict management you have balance of power agreement and there was a balance of power agreement within northern ireland and one of the problems is that the the major protestant political party major catholic political party have been part of government and want to maintain their position they want to maintain that balance of power but population shifts economic reality shifts as you pointed out the catholic population is growing but also in former years when there was a real working class especially shipbuilding and those kinds of manufacturing industries they were in protestant areas and the protestants knew that they had those jobs they were good jobs they were union jobs they had benefits they had retirement plans so college wasn't that important to a lot of protestant youth well those factories are pretty much gone they've they've closed they've left northern ireland and what's coming in are high-tech companies and they're moving into catholic areas because the catholic schools have better education and those young people are going to college and universities and so they they have that labor pool so the economics is shifting well wherever you have economic downturn you have growing fear in that segment of the population so in the past catholics felt you know that they were oppressed in northern ireland now you're finding more and more young protestants who feel they are the ones who are oppressed they're the ones who are not getting jobs with kind of going with that you were saying the fear of losing out essentially that does kind of tie in a little bit with the past with what to do with the violence of the past and the trauma with it because you have the newer and the younger generations now and with the children who had grown up through that there was a come up a question on what to do to kind of approach the violence because it seems like the government's there nobody does want to talk about that so do you think the victims of violence uh, because some of them they just want to know what happened to some of the family members that had gotten kidnapped or murdered, do you think that will ever be approached to kind of start the healing process on the violent wounds? I think that that process has been started. It's continuing. It needs to be strengthened. But there is, through 
place like Corimila that I was speaking of, where the Protestants and Catholic victims, as well as perpetrators, as well as those who committed acts of terrorism, who, who took lives from the other side, who took innocent lives sometimes, uh, they meet and they engage in really hard dialogue. And this doesn't happen in an hour. It doesn't happen in, in one day. It's an ongoing process, but it does lead to an, a reconciliation. But reconciliation and transformation, I would submit, is generational. It doesn't happen quickly. And so there has to be incredible patience. Another problem with trying to achieve reconciliation in Northern Ireland is you still have neighborhoods that are over 80% either Catholic or Protestant. Many are over 90% either Catholic or Protestant. These are residential neighborhoods. So the schools then are homogeneous with regard to Catholicism and Protestantism. They have what's called integrated schools, and they have tried to promote integrated schools. This is where Protestants and Catholic children go to school together. They are only, there's perhaps only 20, 25,000 children in Northern Ireland that attend integrated schools. So how how do you bring people together? How do you have a shared value system that you can build a shared identity? And that's the issue wrapped around my trying to understand how they grapple with a concept like citizenship. It's extraordinarily complicated when you have segregated housing, segregated schools, segregated workplaces, and this is 20 years after the Good Friday Agreement. I know one of the things that seems to be coming out is with Brexit, with uh, the Northern Ireland, because that was one of the big disputes right now, is what to do with the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland there. Many folks don't want any walls coming up, and it seems like the ones in London are kind of saying that they're not going to put up a hard border. How do you think Brexit will play into maybe a a greater sense of of citizenship within Northern Ireland? Do you think they would want to kind of lean more with the rest of England or maybe more towards Ireland, which is staying within the EU? Once again, that comes down to Protestant and Catholic. The European Union, of course, does not want any change in, in the current situation. Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, doesn't want any change. The Irish in Northern Ireland would like to preserve the status quo. And Protestants, the DUP, that is saving May's government at the present time, are saying we want no special treatment. We are part of the UK. We are part of our Britishness. And we we don't want any special status. For example, a soft border. If Britain's going to leave Brexit, we want to leave Brexit. That would mean a hard border, 300 miles uh, of a hard border. That could lead to renewed violence. There are about 30,000 people that cross a seamless border today, every day. And, you know, it's, you don't really recognize you're going from the Republic of Ireland into British-controlled Northern Ireland. You don't really realize that. 
But a hard border, once again, you go back to the three years of the Troubles. And would violence break out? Some of the uh, old IRA people say it probably would break out. So here you have a 300-mile land border that is perhaps the most problematic uh, issue in Britain leaving the European Union in Brexit. It gives it a future questioning of how that will affect things, and Brexit is going to have a major impact, I think, on the rest of Europe as well. Most people don't realize... They were still talking about how they'll need two different currencies now, going from one place to the other with the exit of it, and how it used to be as in the past. Well, well, you know, England has maintained its currency. It's still the pound, so it uh, never really went for the euro. So that currency would remain, the, the pound would remain. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, most people don't realize even going across the border there, Northern Ireland has many dairy companies, including Bailey's Irish Coffee. They do about <laughs> 5,000 trips across the borders back and forth every year with their Irish cream, whiskey, milk, and paper products. And most people also don't realize... Game of Thrones also is filmed in Northern Ireland. Maybe the answer is to uh, say, look, we've tried politically, economically to bring bring Protestants and Catholics together. Maybe we should just focus on Irish whiskey. (laughs) That might be the answer. (laughs) It does. It does. Um, Well, is there anything else you can maybe add just for further insight upon the Northern Ireland conflict issue? I think that it's a lesson in in patience. And what it shows is that conflict resolution is a social science. It's, you know, there are certain steps that you go through, you know, with regard to uh, who's at the table, who's not at the table, and so forth. And it's very formulaic in many senses. Peace building is an art. Say, I know they were, for some of the conflicts in the world, they were trying to model after the Good Friday Agreement in places Mm -hmm. like Iraq and other. Well, it does stop the killing. It stops the killing, and it leads to a balance of power. The problem is you're kind of stuck in that balance of power framework for a long time. The Balkans are an example of that. I mean, Bosnia-Herzegovina is an example of that. The Dayton Accords were conflict management, brought an end to the killing. Balance of power, it hasn't resolved. The violence is just under the surface, could break out at any time. In Northern Ireland, hopefully the violence will not break out again, but it is not leading to reconciliation in the minds of those who are living in Northern Ireland, those six counties. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Hufford. Your insight is very valuable, especially in the study of this. And with civil affairs and what we do, conflict resolution is a key part of it and just trying to slow the violence and trying to calm things down a little bit. Thank you. And, And how you move from management to resolution to reconciliation the transformation. Exactly. Huge challenges. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Hufford. Thank you very much. Thank you. Much. Bye. Bye.